as we automate the world, the whole world becomes digitally connected to everything on the planet. What that does do is generate ridiculous amounts of data, ridiculous amounts. Ultimately, um, things like traceability and the ability to leverage technology will become a differentiator. The easier you are as a supplier, as a customer, um, et cetera, to do business with, and that's a value. Um, and, and that's part of the total value equation as a, as a company that you'd offer. Welcome to Future Foodcast today. Um, we're fortunate to have Craig Gentry from Idahoan Foods, who's gonna to talk to us um, about Idahoan and what their role is in the food supply chain so we can better understand as a supplier, in a sense, what they provide, who they serve, and some of the successes and some of the challenges that they face in today's world. So with that, um, thanks for tuning in at the Future Foodcast. We're inviting thought leaders uh, in today's food industry to discuss the trends in technology that will shape the future of food. Um, so with that background, uh, Craig, uh, welcome to our foodcast today. Thanks, Jim, for having me. I appreciate it and looking forward to it. So it's, it's great to have you on the show. Um, would you mind telling uh, our guests what you, um, your role is at uh, Idahoan? Absolutely. Um, so I'm vice president of food service. Um, also the general manager for the food service business unit. And I sit on the executive team um, responsible for our entire business. Oh, okay. So that's a, a broad scope. <laughs> it's a, a big challenge for sure. Um, it covers lots of different areas. Uh, so with that, just taking a look, there's many different aspects in the food supply chain today and Idaho and is probably affected by uh, or servicing many of them. Uh, so in the markets that you go after, tell us a little bit about the markets that you're addressing and serving. Sure. So we, we really have um, two sides to the business in, in North America and, and expanding internationally. But in the, the U.S. and North American business, we've got a retail side. Um, it's our more mature side of the business um, and certainly where you'd recognize um, the Idahoan brand. Um, you know, we've had this business for around 60 years, um, starting from a grower cooperative and then through a couple different iterations um, to the business we are today. On the food service side, uh, the, the technology that, that originally was dehydrated potatoes is, is where it started, and, and that's uh, where we've grown from. Um, we're a rapidly growing business, um, expanding and selling into um, all of the food service outlets that you would see um, across the landscape in North America, um, including Canada, obviously. Um, we are also expanding internationally. Um, we, we currently today do some business in, in uh, the UK, um, and we ship to um, over 100 companies and uh, countries in the world um, our products. So um, quite, a, quite a big scope and, and uh, lots of room for growth as well. All right. Uh, great. So you're growing in the marketplace. Tell me a little bit um, to understand about the products. What does the product line cover from your perspective? What's in it? Sure. So, so the primary uh, products that we offer are what's known in the industry as dehydrated. Uh, we, we like the term fresh dried, and I'll explain that as we go through a little bit later. But, but our fresh dried products, um, based on the technology that we use, uh, deliver a, a high quality uh, mashed hash brown or casserole potato product uh, to consumers and, and to food service. Um, we do have a, a soup business, a dehydrated soup business on the retail side as well. Um, but the bulk of our product uh, mix comes from um, potatoes grown in Idaho, 100%. We're very proud of that. And, and that's uh, what we deliver to consumers and, uh, and operators in the food service space. Interesting. So a couple of things that are important, I think, in the marketplace we see is increasing demand on the consumer side. One of them is everybody today is concerned about um, environmental, social governance and, and related to sustainability goals from the UN. They have the 
sustainability development goals, they call it for 17 of those kind of things uh, to try to measure that sort of impact that companies and in a sense, consumers are having uh, in a sense on the environment and so on. Uh, that said, uh, tell me a little bit more from a sustainability perspective about in a sense, how you see Idaho and uh, products positioned in the marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's interesting. We're at the very beginning of our of our real sustainability journey in terms of articulating that in the marketplace. Um, if you think about where we're from and, and the the grower cooperative that we came from, sustainability is built into our DNA, um, but we haven't really articulated it well. And so we're we're just starting to do that um, with our purpose statement, our vision statement, where we talk about sustainability. And and when we think about um, sustainability, CSR, and then ESG, the measurements that come behind that. Uh, we really think about it in a couple ways. We, we think about the land um, that, that you know, we're, we're a part of and, and where our products come from. We think about our growers um, and their ability to continue to produce that product in rotation uh, format. Uh, and then we take a, think about our, our end consumer. And again, whether that's a, um, a consumer in a, in a home or a consumer in a restaurant, um, we think about those. And, and if you think about the supply chain from when the potatoes come to our door until um, they're delivered ultimately to their end destination, um, there's a lot of waste inherent in, in the food manufacturing process. And, and there's many studies done, but you know, up to 40% of product that comes out of the ground ultimately just goes into the trash. And so one of the unique aspects of our, um, of our process is that we're able to use um, basically any raw material that's still in potato form and produce uh, an outstanding product. And so that really allows us to, to step into a space and, and reduce that waste footprint significantly. Um, and as we, we start to articulate our, our journey a little bit um, you know, better, um, we will we'll start to come out and, and, and understand you know, what that waste reduction percentage is. So that's one aspect of it. And the other element of it is because we are a, a fresh dried or a dehydrated product, uh, we're able to, to get our product into, again, the consumer's hands with a much lower CO2 footprint um, in terms of trucks on the road, um, manufacturing and those kinds of things. And so um, we really have a, a role to play there um, in, in helping the consumer understand the value of that. Um, we, we ship about 20% of the trucks. If you, if you were to take a, a potato um, and ship it anywhere in the country, we need about 20% of the trucks that's required um, to ship, you know, a, a, a fresh potato um, to the same destination. And so that's a really important element. You know, we're simply just removing the water um, and then shipping it to the consumer. So that's another element that we really feel we have a role to play in. So um, there's quite a big story uh, that, that we can tell, and, and we're looking forward to, to really articulating that in a, a much more um, concise approach as we go forward. Yeah, that's a pretty big impact for sure. As you said, the numbers are huge. From a shipping perspective, logistics going out from I'll call it your plants out through the different uh, either food service chains or to distributors, wholesalers, or off to the larger retailers and so on. That, that's a tremendous impact. I'm guessing, and I don't know this for a fact, I don't know where the plants are. The markets are sort of all over, as you said, it's all of North America, a little bit of Europe now. And so all of that major, what I call probably long haul distribution is now highly efficient because of the product you're using. I think exactly. I'm gonna guess on the other side of the fence, when it comes in from the farm to you, to the, the processing plants, it's probably still somewhat the same. I assume that side of it doesn't change much. Um, you know, actually the, because of the nature of our, our product, so being Idahoan and, and having our potato source 100% from Idaho, um, our, our furthest growers are, are less than 150 miles away from our plants and our plants oh. are 
our furthest plant is about 100 miles away from um, you know, our corporate office. And so all of them are in a radius of, you know, call it 150 miles. And so there actually is a, um, a lower footprint there. Uh, yeah. Again, you know, we, we, when you think about um, the growing areas of, of the country, um, you know, there's certainly a, a terroir that's, that's associated with Idaho in terms of soil and, and climate and water that allows us to source from a, a really relatively small footprint. So um, we- That's excellent. Have- yeah, because you hear about, I'll call it other, I'll call it uh, fresh food products being mm-hmm. shipped from all over the world. And, you know, by comparison, that's a much more expensive proposition when you look yep. at you know, uh, the environment, carbon management, all that sort of stuff. So that's a big impact. So yours is obviously a very different story in that area, which is great. It is. Um, So uh, some of the other things uh, I would assume with the way your products work is in general, a couple of things. They're probably gonna have a longer shelf life as well, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, either in the food service channel or over on the retail side, which is another win um, as well from a sustainability perspective. And then also, I guess, um, what about the cost, relative cost of the product? I assume that that has a story as well uh, in terms of the cost for consumers relative to other products that they can choose to consume. Yeah, there's a couple points in that, actually. And, and one is in terms of CSR. Um, and if you think about uh, the product that we have and, and the fresh dried nature of that product, it, it does have a much longer shelf life. So it's, it's suitable for, you know, storage over long periods and, and small footprint versus, you know, fresh and frozen, you know, produce. Um, but the other thing is because it's very economically viable, um, you know, we were able to satiate not only hunger, but also nutritional needs, um, in a, in a relatively inexpensive format. So the value, you know, equation is really, really high. Um, and that's something we, you know, also really, uh, try to educate consumers on, try to educate operators on, and, and whether it's a, you know, fully flavored product, um, a very clean product in terms of, you know, uh, no additional ingredients. Um, we can kind of do that both ways with anywhere from, you know, nine months to a year shelf life. So um, quite a bit of opportunity there for um, um, savings, um, both in storage and, and also um, in, in cost uh, for both the consumer and the operator. So um, a, a unique aspect too. Yeah, that's great. And then the other thing you had mentioned uh, last time we talked was about the fact that in effect, the way you're processing product and shipping it, in effect, it is a form of, I'll call it upcycling uh, in the industry, in a sense, different than, uh, you know, when I go to my local store and buy, you know, uh, I'll call it fresh potatoes, air from the shelf, it's very different as a process. It is, you know, there's a, there was a movement many years ago called the ugly produce movement. And, and what they aimed to do really was just take produce that maybe didn't look, you know, as you would expect it to look on a, on a pretty plate, but uh, talk about the concept of using it's still very usable. And, and it's similar with us, you know, we, we can take um, very small tomatoes or, or potatoes, excuse me, um, imperfect potatoes and, um, you know, do a lot with those. And, and even right. contracting with some of the larger manufacturers, um, French fries that need a really long and perfect potato to produce their product, we're able to take the parts that they're not able to use and, and turn that again into a finished product that um, the consumer would recognize as the same as, you know, their, their mom's or their dad's uh, mashed potatoes. So that's, that's definitely a benefit of the process that we use. Yeah. So that's, that's another big uh, part of the story as well. So hopefully as a consumer who just goes to the store, buys stuff and eats or goes out to a restaurant and just eats, Either way, I'm eating all the time. I'm not always aware, but I assume some of the shifts that we all have today, uh, whether it be for my reasons for health or, or whatever freshness, but in general, we're seeing a higher demand for consumers to understand what the food is that they're trying to consume, where it comes from, and so on. And so maybe you can talk to me a little bit about 
how on your end you're trying to, in a sense, help educate the market, not just the retailers, maybe in the food service uh, clients you have, but actually the end consumers as well. Sure. So a couple pieces in there, you know, one is around the nutritional value of a potato um, and the, the high quality proteins that are in there. Um, you know, the, the, the carbohydrates that are really, you know, great for, from a nutritional perspective. Um, but then in terms of, you know, just the, the um, satiating quality of a potato and the canvas, we talk about the canvas a lot that it represents to carry flavors. And so we talk to consumers a lot about that. If you're, if you're looking for something that's um, very simple to use um, that can carry um, these flavors, these global flavors that we're all sort of craving, whether you're eating at home or you're eating out in a restaurant, um, it's very good for that. You know, potatoes provide a lot of opportunity and, and not just in mashed form, but in shred form um, and slice form as well. And so all of those things, um, you know, allow, allow the consumer to put something really um, compelling on their plate. Um, in terms of the, the restaurant side of the business and, and trying to help chefs understand and help, you know, patrons understand, we talked a little bit before about, you know, the, the potatoes coming from fields very close by. You know, there's a farm to table sort of mystique that's been around for, for quite some time. And, and, you know, that's that local, you know, local food. And I, I like to, to think of it as, you know, we're very much farm to table from the time a potato comes out of the ground or comes out of one of our storage sheds. Um, it's less than six hours until it's in, you know, a, a dehydrated, a fresh dried format that then we can ship out. So it very much is, um, you know, close to the earth and, and close to the locale where it was shipped from. Um, so that's a, that's a unique story. And the pandemic sort of provided us this, this unique window where consumers and chefs were more open to understand, you know, what would the value of this be? You know, there's many uh, products that are freeze-dried, fresh-dried, dehydrated, um, that we assume and, and believe are very high quality because they are, um, you know, beef jerkies and different things like that. And potatoes are no different. And so it's allowed us to take this opportunity to say, you know, where you were preparing something fresh before from, you know, from a, a fresh uh, produce perspective, you get that same quality with what you're um, putting on the plate with, with our product. Um, and you get it in a, you know, much more economical, much more sustainable, much less waste, um, you know, manner. And that's, that's what we've really taken this, this, um, this window of time to, to do. And, and it's been quite successful. So. Yeah. The other thing I noticed, um, like I looked at your website as an example, and, and there's a lot of information out there, honestly, about all the different products that you offer and so on. One of the things, um, I'm not like my son. He's a first-class chef. Uh, I'm the other end of the spectrum. I'm the worst-class chef you ever met. And what's <laughs> nice is when I go to your website, I see a bunch of recipes out there for what I call the cooking challenge like myself. So it makes it easier for most of us to say, what can I do with this stuff? And uh, it, it becomes simple to, in a sense, whip up a dish fairly quickly, which is kind of nice um, for those of us that can't do stuff. That's excellent. So, well, and you bring up a good point because you know whether you're cooking at home and and you're aspiring to be a chef, even from you know the bottom of the barrel, maybe as you, you mentioned, right, uh, right. Or, or you're a little bit uh, you know more talented, uh, you know the the idea around ease and simplicity, right? I mean, and and you know I, I love to cook. Um, I love to cook at home. There are certain things I can do, but I can't prepare a full restaurant quality meal. I just I don't have that much uh, talent, um, but I can do a few things. And if I can have a, a helper, um, you know, like like a, an easy to prepare shred, um, hash brown, mashed potato, that's 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 perfect. Um, I can concentrate on those things where maybe I can do a little better and, and uh, take a little less time for me. Um, but when you look at restaurants and especially today, you know, and you think about the labor challenges we're having at the moment, um, which are extreme. Um, it, it's almost hard to get good service in a restaurant anywhere in the country um, these days. And it doesn't matter whether it's 
casual dining, family dining, fine dining, it, it doesn't matter. It's, it's very difficult. And so, you know, the whole idea around removing labor from items like a mashed potato or some of your starches and some of your sides is very compelling um, for, a, for a couple of reasons. A, because the labor is not there, but B, even from a, um, a mistake perspective, you know, if, if you were to make a mistake on something as simple as a side that then was perceived to be low value for the entire dish, because a consumer often, you know, judges their at least I do when I'm in a restaurant, I judge the whole meal, not, you know, just simply a component of it. Um, right. That allows us to, to, to provide that opportunity for the restaurateur to take that worry out of the equation and make it very simple, um, just pour water, stir and ready to go. Um, and so that's, that's a really, really compelling piece. Yeah, you're right. Because not only is there a shortage, but also with the high amount of turnover you have today in restaurants where, you know, I'd say when I used to go out five years ago, I saw the same people every time when I went to the restaurant right. and they knew me too. There was no change. But now you're right. You're seeing a lot of change. And so anything that simplifies, I'll call it that learning and that onboarding process for them is a good deal as well. Absolutely. Um, for sure. Um, so, and the other thing too, you know, I don't know if the food server side, cause I don't run a restaurant. I, I've worked in them, but don't run one. But on the consumer side, there's also a demand for more nutritional information, which I do see is on your website as well. Uh, any thoughts on how outside beyond the website, which I've checked, is there anything else that you do to try to open up the doors for consumers to understand in a sense, what the product is and what the value to them is? Sure. I mean, we work within the bounds of whatever um, operator we're, we're, we're working with, right? I mean, there are some, and, and depending on the legislation in the state that you work in and the, and the size of your operation in terms of numbers of units, you know, you either have to publish full nutritional information. But even when you're not, I think consumers, and I'm certainly myself, are, are much more aware of what they're eating when they go out. And so, um, you know, as, as we um, move our product to cleaner and cleaner label, um, you know, we're, we're moving sort of at the speed that the consumer is ready for. Um, but we're certainly trying to move and move them as well um, to something that's better and better for them. And so to the extent that, um, you know, there's a commercial market and, and we feel like we can, we can provide that, we do. Um, but we certainly are able to provide any of the, um, you know, the nutritional values that, that we need to. You know, one of the things we're really excited about, um, and, and again, kind of relies on the technology that we have in processing, which is very, uh, um, very hands off, I guess, if you would say, um, are, are a line of clean label products called Honest Earth. And so um, those are completely free of any preservatives. Um, they are packaged, um, you know, have a six to nine month shelf life and really, again, allow a, um, you know, a very um, focused restaurant on a farm to table or clean label perspective to still, again, serve really high quality without having the massive amount of labor that's required to produce all of that from scratch, which is typically what happens when you, you know, have a, um, you know, a clean label uh, focused restaurant or, or operation. And so, uh, that, that's something that we'll continue to move forward with and we'll continue to expand that line. And um, we've seen great success so far from it. Uh, so when you go to I call the end product is always the consumer, whether I'm in a restaurant or in purchasing from a retail outlet, uh, anything that you have to do with the partner channels? I know I, I'm guessing you use wholesalers, distributors on the retail side uh, and maybe distributors over on the food service side as well. Is there anything um, that they need to know about your products and your delivery model? Well, I think everybody in, in the industry, I mean, we're, we're all focused on a, uh, a more sustainable system. And that, and that includes kind of all of the, the CSR, um, you know, components of it up and down the stakeholder um, sort of life cycle of a product. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're articulating better our strategy. We are capturing more um, the, the, the initiatives that we have in place. Um, we're prepared to supply those to our partners. 
Um, we get more and more requests every day, whether it's in the retail channel from you know, our big retail partners, um, in the, the food service space from our distributor partners, and, and even our, our, our chains, um, and even in smaller units that we're dealing with. They, they want to understand not just what's in our product, but also you know, how we're stewarding uh, our resources, whether it's uh, you know, the land and the farmers that we deal with, our employees, um, you know, that's a huge piece as well. They, they want to understand that. And, and so uh, you, you know as well as I do, there's lots of great examples out there of companies that, that um, have been on that journey for a long time. Um, and then there's, you know, a lot of other companies that are, are really just starting that journey, have a great base to start from, um, but need to, again, better articulate such as ourselves. Um, and that's, that's what we're doing. And so um, it's certainly something, you know, I'm passionate about, my team's passionate about um, from some previous roles that I've held. It's something I've seen, you know, provide a great deal of, of benefit, again, all up and down the, the, the value chain. And so, you know, it's, it's something we're really focused on here. And, and you know, I'm excited that, that we've really kind of stepped into that journey, um, you know, with, with both feet. We've, we've articulated that, you know, we want to delight and nourish lives. It's on the, the purpose statement behind me. Um, and that in itself is an implicit, um, you know, sort of meaning that, that we want to go beyond just, um, you know, providing a, a good quality, you know, food product. And so there's a lot more in that. So um, yeah. it's, it takes up quite a bit of my time and, and, and happy that it does at this point. So, yeah, I do see on the website that there's quite a bit about the, the sustainability focus and who you serve and the thoughts behind how you're trying to, in a sense, help all the different stakeholders as well. That's an important thing today, you're right, as a message. The other thing I'll say is the pandemic certainly changed a lot of things in a couple of ways. It certainly uh, had an impact on supply chains big time. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the pandemic impact on, in a sense, there's a, there's a whole end of your business. You start at the grower end, you wind up at either food service or retail. And tell me a little bit about what that, supply chain impact has been from your perspective? Sure. Uh, the, the trick will be to tell you a little bit, I think, because um, there's a lot. Uh, you know, and, and as you said, you know, when the pandemic hit and everybody was impacted, you know, the supply chains were, were sort of um, exposed in terms of where their focus was. And, and, and we're no different than anybody else. We, we've been very fortunate in that, hey, we've got a great manufacturing um, uh, capability. We have a, a great team there. And so, you know, by and large, we've maintained very high levels of supply, but it hasn't been without challenges. Um, the other challenge for us, too, is that you've got to remember that the planning for um, crops, you know, goes on around the time that the pandemic hit. That's the time that, you know, planting is about to start. And so you, you've got um, growers that are making decisions based on what their perception is. And so there was a lot of discussion with our uh, you know, our raw material team um, who have deep, deep relationships in, in the community with the growers. And that was really, really important for us to try to help provide them data, um, give them assurances that, you know, we would, um, we would continue to be good partners as we have for, you know, a number of years. Uh, and that, you know, as we, as we came out of this and experienced the, the rocky road, which is, has, you know, continues to, to be here, um, that, we, that we would partner with them. And so, you know, obviously the, the retail business took off extremely fast, um, you know, to 200 percent, you know, supply in, in April, March and April of last year was not uncommon at all. Um, mm -hmm. And then since then, it's been quite a bit of a really a roller coaster is the best way to describe it. Um, and not just with, you know, the numbers coming in in terms of the pandemic, but also just public perception, um, those kinds of things. Um, and sort of the opposite has happened on the food service side. You know, it's it's um, it was interesting to see in, in May and June, the huge bounce back of consumers really getting out in the market because they missed that social occasion of you know, sharing a meal. 
uh, and, and then, you know, as we kind of go back into fall, what that will look like. So um, supply chain has probably been the biggest challenge. Um, you know, like I said, I, we've been really, really fortunate, but it's something we continue to stay hyper-focused on um, just because of the nature of, uh, of this pandemic. And, and like I said, you know, consumer behavior and just the concern in general. I know we've got to be ready for that sort of spike in demand on either side of the business. Um, but at least, you know, our, our product line does lend itself a little bit to, to some stockpiling that we can do um, to try to smooth out some of those curves in demand. So, yeah, it's great. And the other thing it does is it, it makes you realize as a vendor in a supply chain that you have to figure out how to be, I'll call it highly reactive to changes in demand. You know, five years ago, nobody would have thought of, yeah, can you plan for this scenario? And you would have said, no, it's not part of what we have to worry about. And sure. today, now you think differently about it. Um, with that, Given the products you have, did it also impact the product mix on your end for what, in a sense, went more toward retail versus, because you have raw product coming in that you're processing sure. all the time. And I don't know if the overall demand went up or down, I'm gonna guess uh, it went way up in retail, way down in food service. Um, but overall, I assume that there was probably strong demand, but the, the trick is I'm gonna guess, did the mix change at all for you? Oh, sure. And, and you know, the, the mix between channels, retail food service changed. Um, the mix within channels changed in terms of what the products were being demanded. You know, we, like a lot of manufacturers, made some decisions early in the pandemic to make sure we could supply our top 80% of SKUs. Um, and so we did take some, some you know, product off, uh, um, off the shelf for a while. Um, it was the right thing to do because it allowed yeah. us to be, um, you know, pr produce in a little higher speed manner. Um, and then on food service, we did the same thing. We took that opportunity to, to probably take some tail that we needed to, to, to move off um, and, and do that uh, and also allowed us to, you know, to fulfill demand. I think the, the biggest benefit we saw um, is that, at least on the food service side, is that sort of the segments that we were really targeted and focused on um, did quite well over the pandemic. And so some of that, that fast casual QSR um, and even some of the, the casual dining that we had that was able to hold on. Um, you know, did well. Um, the other thing we benefited from on the food service side is just the, um, the, the, the ability of our product to travel. Um, you know, delivery, as you've seen, uh, you know, skyrocketed. And there are certain, um, certain things that lend themselves to, to delivery and certain things that aren't. And, and mashed potatoes and even hash browns um, are, are conducive to that. They, they maintain quality. And, and so um, that did help us. And, and, and again, I, I think as, a, as a, looking at our peer set and also looking at the industry as a whole, we, we did quite well and outperformed um, on the food service side. Having said that, we, we certainly were below where we were in, in, in 2019, um, but overall we did well. And, and yes, the, the spike in demand um, for the whole company was, was significant. Uh, and, and again, just, just goes back to my comment around supply chain and, and uh, sort of that all hands on deck feeling and, and uh, you know, the great, uh, the great employees that we have and, and the great uh, supply chain team that we have. So, well, Yeah, it's, Again, it does sound like your company overall, just from the product line, what you're doing and so on, was far better positioned to, in a sense, do well during that massive impact shift than uh, a lot of other companies that are, have very long supply chains physically um, or are trying to manage, I'll call it fresh product in a way, certainly much more challenged. Or maybe the product's completely different between food service and uh, retail as an example. So some of those things were challenged. But yeah. the other I'm sure there was some impact, I'll say just in logistics in general, in the sense that I think from what I understand the trucking, uh, the whole transportation side in a sense did impact everybody. Yours is more compact product, which is good, but still just getting shippers and so on and, and reliably to show up all the time is one thing. The other thing that um, would be a challenge as well 
is you depend on packaging, right? And I don't know if there was an impact there as well. You know, again, we've we were reasonably fortunate. Uh, you know, we're, we're we're buying you know significant quantities, and and while our our demand spiked, I mean, typically we're we're more than a few months out on on packaging, and and um, I again fortunate that we weren't in the middle of a brand change or a brand refresh or anything like that, which would have had major impact. Um, certainly, we've seen the increase in in cost um, across the board on on you know supply in terms of pallets, in terms of trucking, um, you know fuel surcharges, all those kinds of things. And certainly, that'll find its way down to packaging as well. And we're already seeing that. So um, we like you know most of our of our peer set um, have been looking at and passing through you know price increases. Um, but we're also really focused, uh, as I think everybody would be. But I, again, kudos to our supply chain team for really finding ways to uh, to reduce cost, um, because you know ultimately that's that's the best we can do. Um, one of the things I was really pleased to see coming out of this is is finally restaurants um, on the on the food service side really started to take some price, and they needed to. There there was a, a number of years where there was just no pricing being passed on to the consumer, and and you know the cost that you pay for a meal really didn't, uh, or the price you pay for a meal didn't really reflect the cost that was going into it. So you're seeing that um, and continue to see that, and I think it's conditioned the consumer um, a little bit more to that you know price increase on the food service side, but. Um, yeah, there's, there's been a huge definitely change. Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> while their prices have gone up significantly, the reality is I don't think you're a major part of that increase. It's really the no. labor side that's the big part of that, right? Because, you, as you said, it's a hard time getting labor, and the labor they get has to be radically priced a lot higher than it used to be. So it makes sense that their prices go up for sure. sure. Uh, as part of the whole pandemic thing, too, the other issue is it it highlighted the whole instantly highlighted, I'll say, the whole concern that consumers have, everybody has, over food safety. So we have the regulations that are coming in place, the Food Safety Modernization Act of 2015 that takes effect in 2024, um, for sure. So that has an impact, that was having an impact anyway on how people think about food safety and what you're responsible for, I'll say, before the pandemic. But sure. the pandemic itself just says, wait a minute, we all care about that now. It's not no longer like number 20 on my list of things. It's in my top three of what I want to know about. And so, yeah, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the impact on food safety, sanitation, and processing, and, and how that has worked. Sure. You know, there, there are some big stories, you know, around food safety coming into the pandemic, right? And, you know, many um, retailers and manufacturers and, you know, food service uh, operators had had some big challenges, and, and so it was certainly top of mind, and it hasn't gone away. Uh, one of the things that you know we we've done, and, and I think we're not unlike many, is you know we really needed to get in place an ERP system that uh, would be sort of scalable around the idea of traceability, and, and so we've done that. We're we're in the final stage where we're we're in implementation. We've gone live, but uh, working out the bugs uh, of a new ERP system. So that'll really allow us now to you know bolt in uh, the other systems that we need to to really drive traceability. Um, you know, I, I think we're probably where most of the industry is in, in terms of that um, that planning process up to the 2024 um, you know timeline, and uh, it's. Again, we're a bit fortunate in that we we have access, very close access to a lot of things that go on. But you know, I like you know you and and most consumers want to know you know what's going on uh, you know in 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 my food product and and again not just from a raw material perspective, um, but from packaging and and from employee relations and and those kinds of things. And so um, you know, fortunately, again, we work with a lot of really great um, partners, both suppliers and and those who we supply to. 
Um, and so there's a lot of collaboration and understanding there and, and, and a lot of discussion on, you know, what's important, you know, what's what's mandatory, what's important, um, what's possible. And then, you know, we're, we're in that mix and what are we going to do? Um, because I think the the there's a tendency for people to get frozen a bit uh, around all the things that, that possibly could be done, but ultimately, you know, you've got to be able to commercialize a product um, within the regulation set and then also meet consumer demand. And so um, it, it's, it's pretty complex, and, and, but it is something that, you know, I think our base systems are now in place and, and we're ready to really dive in and, and tackle some of those now. So, yeah, picking up on your new ERP system, one of the things, as you mentioned, if it's going to help with traceability, if you will, then I assume it's, it has the capability, I should, should say, to work at what I call a, a lot or a case level from a tracking perspective, mm -hmm. which is important. So within your organization, it makes it easy. I guess the benchmark against that, if I think about the industry, is there's two big cases that stood out. I can't remember, it was four years ago, I think, uh, we had that romaine lettuce recall across mm -hmm. the US where they, <laughs> they couldn't trace anything. And they said, okay, we've got some bad romaine lettuce. Let's just get rid of all romaine romaine lettuce for three months and start over, call it a reset, which almost effectively happened across everything. And not just the fresh produce product, but even the products that in a sense had romaine in it were all off the shelf for a long period of time, right. which is definitely a, a quote a horror show for everybody. All the suppliers, the supply chain, the consumers, you're all impacted. The other one I had followed a little bit was the USDA had a a uh, recall effort on some Bing cherries that came out of two farms in California that had a problem. Um, they were, uh, in a sense, infected with uh, bacteria. They were, they actually did trace it back to the right two farms that were the source of the uh, uh, problem, and they were able to remediate that. The problem was it literally took the USDA, USDA and CDC together, and along with all the other people in supply chain, it took them over 10 months to get to idea from the point that they said, hey, we got a problem to, hey, can we pinpoint where it really is uh, and where the, in a sense, where the product from those two farms went to uh, forward through the supply chain. They did all that, but the effort to do it took 10 months and a lot yeah. of costs. With your new ERP system in place, I'm going to guess um, because you're going to have the capability to internally identify uh, call it that kind of tracking. So if I came to you and said, hey, I got a bad product here, you could trace it all the way back you know, to, through your own process. And as you mentioned, it, it sounds like you're going to be uh, looking to integrate with the other members or companies in your supply chain, right? Going back to the growers a little bit, going forward into the distributors and so on. You know, Where did these cases go? Because to get, get the answer from the end point of saying, whatever, if they found something bad at a food service thing, how do we take it all the way back to where it came from? And then how do we go forward and say, oh, this case got shipped to, or these cases got shipped to, you know, three other locations or something like that? Well, fortunately, you know, from, from the point it leaves our, or goes into a case at our plant until it gets to the end user, I mean, that's, that's very traceable today and, and has been. Um, so, so that's good news. Uh, and, and our distributor partners, our retail partners, ourselves, you know, we have a pretty good process in place, you know, can always be improved, but, but you know, pretty robust at the moment that we can get to that very quickly. Um, the challenge is when you go upstream, right? And, and if you think about, you know, um, uh, truckloads of, of potatoes or any other product entering a plant and how you segregate those. And so, you know, certainly, um, you know, some of our plants are highly automated. Others are on a, a schedule to become automated and, and that becomes important. Um, again, a, you've got to have a, a system that can that can work with you and grow that. Um, but once you've got that in place, then you can really invest in that automation and it pays off. 
uh, and, and ultimately it's about, again, speeding up, as you mentioned, 10 months is um, just, you know, if you think about all the scary elements of that, you know, there's, there's the consumer trust, there's the loss of product, there's, um, you know, a brand, um, there's also an, even an industry, you know, stigma. I'm sure that, you know, other suppliers of cherries were, you know, radically impacted by that. Um, it's just yeah. the world we live in. And so, you know, we really aim to drive that back up the, um, the value chain is, uh, you know, all the way to, to, to grower level. Um, so at a minimum, we reduce that waste and reduce that time. Um, but that's, uh, that's a lot of work and it's a lot of data. Uh, you know, again, it's, you know, data is great, but you can't use it for anything and it, it doesn't really help you out. And so it's not just having the data, but how do you get to it quickly and, and analyze it and, and use it to your benefit? So, yeah, it's, and you brought up a really big point, which is right, that ultimately at the end of the day, my cherry farm had nothing to do with the problem, but I'm impacted because people go, I don't know if I can eat cherries now just because you can't get a clear answer. So the ability to, in a sense, make that happen better is a win for the entire uh, yeah. segment of whatever that industry is. In your case, it, it's obviously a good thing that you have, I'll call it that coordination. The other thing that's a huge win in your case is as you say, while you're still going after the same retail outlets that maybe I buy pink cherries from, and maybe you're hitting the same food service uh, outlets, the difference is your supplier side of it, um, your suppliers, the growers, is such a shorter chain that that's a little bit easier to manage than somebody who's bringing in product from all over the world, right? And, you know, through a lot of what I call uh, intermediaries that have to handle that product, that makes it much more complex. It does, but we still have, you know, we have ingredients that go into that that are, you know, coming from different areas. And so, you know, it, it, yeah. it still impacts us, um, you know, more so on, on the retail side and the food service side, because we tend to have more flavors there. Um, so, you know, we don't, we, we we're we're fortunate to have you know to have that proximity to our growers, but there are other elements that we've got to you know got to yeah. monitor you know even even into packaging and, and equipment. Um, and so I don't think anybody's immune, uh, you know, from the 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 need to have have that data, um, no matter where your you know whether your uh, um, your raw ingredients or your um, manufacturing materials come from. So yeah, no, you're right. Good point because the ingredients matter as well. Um, so that logically brings me to another point. From your point of view, with everything that you are doing and the things that you're trying to change, um, tell me from your perspective, what are the key technologies that are helping you? Sure. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in, in leveraging data, and, and that's coming back from sort of the sales side. And obviously, data is important, you know, you know running a business of, of any type. But it's, it's not, again, having the data. It's, it's what are you going to do with it? And it's almost saying no um, more than it is saying yes, because there's, there's so many um, data points that you can have that just exist in a system that you've got to be able to act on. So for, for us in, in my business unit, it, it's really around um, technologies that will help us understand our customers better and interface with our customers better. And whether that's as simple as a customer relationship management software or trade spend software, or ultimately, hopefully, an interface um, on one of those two platforms or another um, with our, our customers in terms of supply chain um, and forecasting. Um, or in terms of traceability, you know, and, and plugging those systems in together. So I, I see a huge benefit in, in that area uh, from a uh, or more macro level on Idaho and foods overall. I think, again, it's that, that traceability. Um, that's a really, really big one for us. And then you can even look at it in terms of, you know, sort of what does AI and machine learning bring to the table? Um, you know, those are big, huge uh, sort of black boxes that you can jump into. So you've got to be really deliberate. You've got to be first clear on what your strategy is. 
um, in terms of, you know, how you go to market and, and, and how you get your products to market. Um, and then you decide, you know, what the tools are and, and what those, you know, what aspects of, of AI or machine learning that you can, uh, you can really leverage. So, um, gosh, we could probably talk for hours about the technology, but uh, I, won't, I won't go too far down that road, but you <laughs> did bring up one good point, so I'm going to push back on it. So you, you are correct. As we automate the world, the whole world becomes digitally connected to everything on the planet. What that does do is generate ridiculous amounts of data, ridiculous amounts. Hmm. You hit the point, it's not what data do I have, it's what am I going to do with the data? And that's actually the biggest most important part about data, it's not having data. It's asking, what are the problems I'm trying to solve? What are the decisions I have to make on those? And then what, are, what is the data and the currency of that data that I need to make those decisions? And, it, and to your point, you're taking the right approach to engineer it backward from that point, because the amount of data you have today is ridiculous. And it's a matter of, in a sense, taking that use case as you said, to figure out what the decisions are, the timing that needs to be, the currency, the data, and so on, and saying, hey, this is the stuff I need. And if I've got all this data over here on the right, I just need to get these data elements current so I can make these decisions on a timely basis. And that, that's really, from an engineering perspective, the right way that everybody should be thinking about the operation of these systems, for sure. That's a huge thing. And a lot of people just get lost. I, I hate to say it. I'm a technologist, not like you. <laughs> and so what's different is I sit on the other side of the fence and I'm the guy that says, look at all the day. Look what I brought you. And he'll look at me and go, Jim, you brought me a mess. I need, right. I need this. And thanks for the mess. But now can you give me what I really need for the decisions? And that's really where we need to get to, uh, which is it's nice that when you have somebody on the business side who's driving the bus, so to speak, and say, this is where we need to go from a data perspective. These are the decisions I need to make. And this is the kind of data I have to have from you to do that. Well, that's exactly right. And, and what I what I found is that, you know, people in when they receive, you know, sort of the, the, the presentation on here's here's what can be provided. Uh, a lot of times you forget what, maybe not your strategy, but you sort of forget what the focal point of execution of your strategy is because you, you've got this new shiny object. And, and again, if it doesn't help you in your efficiency or your effectiveness or your execution, you've really got to question whether or not it's, it's what you need. Um, the great thing is with all the data that's out there and all the tools to do it, there's almost a, um, a solve for everything that you can imagine. It's just being really disciplined and saying, again, you know, yes, we're going to use this because it will help us get, you know, X percent um, or X degree better in our execution. Um, but again, the, the power is always in saying no, um, you know, versus uh, saying yes. So, yeah, no, you're right about that. And it's interesting having worked with lots of different companies in lots of industries, that is exactly the difference in terms of delivering better results is that ability to define ahead of time, what are the decisions I need to make? What are the problems I'm trying to solve? And what's the data I need? If, if I look at just that side of it, it's always a business person that's really driving that truck for me. And then it's easy to be on the truck and say, fine, what do you need? I'll go get it, sure. that's my problem. Sure. But you really need somebody who's driving the truck in the right direction, and that's pretty cool. Um, so that's the big thing on technology that sort of covers everything uh, that I had, because I do think that that's gonna change, it, it helps, a couple of things technology does over time. Yes, it's an investment. Yes, it's a cost up front, but there is payback for it. Um, things like you brought up on the traceability. Uh, if you're trying to improve recalls as you and your partners put in better systems, that gets better compliance with regulations gets better. Um, it's not just about the cost that happens too, that you can help drive as you pointed out earlier. 
uh, with automation, you can reduce some of the labor costs at different stages in the supply chain as well. So there's lots of payback for technology in different ways, um, which is true. Well, I think there's one other element too, if you think about it, it's, it's you know, ultimately um, things like traceability and the ability to leverage technology will become a differentiator. And it'll become a differentiator because, you know, there's a cost associated with all the, you know, the recalls, things we just mentioned, and, and it's not just recalls. And so the easier you are as a supplier, as a customer, um, et cetera, to do business with because you've got control of, of your data and can supply the, the needed or the required data, um, you know, that's a value as well. And so, you know, depending on where you're not, well, it, it, it can offset, you know, sort of what your pricing is in the market, even what your branding is in the market. Um, because if your, your ability to interface with your, with your customers and, and your consumers and, and suppliers is high, um, that's a value. Um, and, and that's part of the total value equation as a, as a company that you'd offer. So as usual, when you bring up a good point, I'm going to come back at you and follow up on it. Uh, the last point on that one, I think, is that it is a value. It, mm -hmm. As you said, though, you use the word, it's also a differentiator. Not everybody has the same level of capability. So what that tells me, we do have regulations uh, coming that are, in a sense, more stringent on a lot of these things, obviously. Um, therefore, figuring out compliance and governance around that is critical. So here, it's it sounds like, in a sense, you're making the investments on the operational systems that are needed big time, which is excellent. So the next side of that is going to be saying, okay, so now that we are making those investments, they are paying off in a sense, and we have the regulations, we have the compliance. The last thing is just saying, okay, you know, how do we, in a sense, show our, gov our governance uh, and, and show the results of that? So ultimately, just like you have your sustainability story and a lot of other things on your website, it's in a sense, another way to differentiate yourself as a, in a sense, a solution, you know, for consumers and food service as well. Absolutely. And there's, there's good examples of that today. Um, you know, even within our segment where there's some really good work being done and, and you look at that and, and uh, you know, you want to, you want to be able to offer that same. So yeah, it's, it's something we're focused on and, and um, it's just another, you know, layer again in, in value that you can offer. And so we'll, we'll continue to look at that. Excellent. All right. Well, I don't want to, go into that four-hour discussion we talked about on technology, so I'll leave that alone. Uh, before I wrap up, Sachin, anything else that you have as points that I haven't hit yet that uh, you can think of? Yeah, well, thanks. Yeah, I think you guys pretty much covered everything. Uh, uh, Craig, one thing, uh, if I want to just touch base on is about the, you know, the vision statement, you know, how do you see uh, this industry kind of going in the next three to five years? One thing, I mean, I, I asked this from the from the perspective of, you know, consumers are looking at food differently, uh, uh, you know, whether it's plant-based food or it's a lab-based food, you know, sustainability, organic. So, uh, you know, from your uh, organization, how do you see that, you know, in the next five years? I mean, I'm asking it from organizational, um, organizational innovativeness and, you know, the capacity of an organization to kind of, you know, innovate within to kind of reach those, those goals and those objectives. So maybe if you can build up on that a little bit. Sure. So there's a couple of things in that. The first one is, you know, what are we innovating around product, right? To deliver something that, that, that resonates more with, with the consumer and the changing consumer base. And so, you know, I think I mentioned earlier on is, as we um, look at our innovation pipeline, you know, you'll see more and more products that are moving to um, cleaner label or, uh, you know, even in um, you know, traceability, those kinds of things, you'll see that coming through and, and, you know, possibly even, um, into other categories and adjacencies, um, you know, from a from a um, an organizational perspective, which is critically important, especially in the, the labor market we're in today, is 
you know, how are we articulating, you know, who Idahoan is, you know, who our company is um, to attract and retain talent? Um, I would say, quite honestly, for me, for the next 12 to, to 24 months, that's probably a bigger job and a bigger focus than anything else, uh, you know, for all the reasons that we've talked about. And, and I don't see that loosening up anytime in the near future. So really, you know, taking the statistic that we know consumers are choosing brands based on their um, sort of their, their ESG and, and CSR stance, um, even if it doesn't have anything to do with the food they're eating, that, that's critically important. So you'll see us, um, you know, focusing in that way. And, and quite honestly, you know, as, as a member of the executive team, that's, that's probably one of my biggest roles is, is to drive that forward and, and make sure that stays high on the agenda of our entire organization. So hopefully that answers your question. Yes, it does. Thanks. Great. Awesome. So Craig, I don't want to steal the rest of your day, but this has been an awesome conversation. It's interesting because I love your perspective because you see all parts of the business and you see, in a sense, the whole supply chain. And like you said, unfortunately for you, you're responsible for all of it. But um, the good news is uh, it's, it's a great story because you have a product that in a sense has a lot of wins for the whole marketplace, which is great. You've built a system around that um, that has that is now capable of, I'll say, delivering a lot of value. And you've shown me that in a sense, you're putting in place what I call the necessary foundations uh, to support you know, new regulations coming down the road as well. And then working hard to communicate that story out. So hopefully this future foodcast will help be part of a small part of that overall story for you, for sure. Um, anyway, so I definitely appreciate the time you've taken with us today. And if there's anything else in your mind, just let us know and certainly would love to follow up. I think the impact of what you're doing uh, in a year or two, I'll say, uh, looking down the road, the new regulations are in place. There's a lot of changes in the market and so on. You on your end, not just the ERP systems and the technology, but as you said, you're, you're having to make bigger investments on people as well. Right. Um, you have to build, I'll call it a stronger, more stable workforce in today's world to compete. You're trying to automate at a higher level. That's a lot of changes that are coming down the road for you as well. So. Yeah. Look forward to catching up with you at a future point to see how that whole story is unfolding as well. Thanks very much for the opportunity and uh, looking forward to it as well. Great. Thanks very much, Craig. Have a great Thanks day. Take care. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcasts. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 